this morning, we're going to continue in James. And James, if you recall, is a practical book of walking with Christ. And James' whole purpose in writing the epistle was to give us tips, to give us exhortation to walk every day with Christ. And before I begin this morning, I just wanted to give a little bit of a prologue. Um, All of you know me well, and you know that I really am just a member of the congregation and a member of the congregation who is uh, spent some time preparing uh, a lesson. That's it. And so my approach to preaching this morning is exactly this quote from Martin Luther. Um, we are all mere beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread. Okay, so as your fellow beggar this morning, <laughs> please pray for me because you know this is not my, my usual role uh, to play at Word of Grace, but this is what the Lord wants me to do today. All right. Um, when I last preached, which has been quite some time ago, uh, we started in the book of James. And when we looked at the first four verses of James, uh, he gave us this exhortation. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We talked about how powerful those words are and how powerful true joy is. Joy is this uh, good feeling in your soul, the satisfied feeling, this unshakable feeling of joy that can't be shaken by circumstances. Uh, And If our joy is complete in Christ, if our delight is complete in Christ, we don't seek that fulfillment in other places. So very simple and profound first lesson that we discussed then in James. And just as a a means of review, some facts about James, the half-brother of Christ, right? Same mama, different daddy. Uh, And awesome that he would be mirrored to us. Uh, He did not believe that Jesus was the son of God initially. But after the resurrection, James uh, was soundly saved and became the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. He had a 20-year ministry. During that ministry, he he ran upon all kinds of crazy circumstances. I mean, what could be more horrifying than being in first century Rome under occupation and rule? Um, So what a trying time and what circumstances you think of uh, that James was under preaching at a church that basically was totally against the state religion. 
uh, of Rome. And so he also had a famine uh, during his years of ministry in that time. So James isn't coming from some lofty perch. James is coming from a person that has really come up the ranks into uh, a ministry at Jerusalem. So he knows a thing or two about circumstances. As I said before, what is the book overall of James about? Its primary audience is to those Jewish believers that were spread abroad. Its secondary audience, of course, is us, and it's still very practical and really real and, and really um, practical for us even 2,000 years later. Uh, the timing of James, somewhere around 44 AD. And if you think about where John Martin has, has been in Acts, um, you know, of course, now he's on Ephesians, but previously we were studying Acts. Um, he, this time period of when James was written is somewhere around Acts chapter 12 and the same kinds of events that were going on there. There was widespread persecution in Acts chapter 12. That's where James is living. All right. One moment. So today we're going to primarily be focused in James chapter one, five through eight. So if you will turn there, if you want to follow along with me, just for background and emphasis, I'm going to start with verse two and read through eight. I'm reading out of NASB today. So if you're wondering what version is he on, I'm on NASB for all these slides. Um, Definitely, if you prefer KJV, uh, if you prefer ESB, you know, of course, be uh, be our guest to, to use the version that uh, you use. All right. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God, who gives all gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James begins with the conjunction, but he's directly giving these verses as a contrast to his previous statement. So he says, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect complete, lacking in nothing as an exhortation, but, but, (laughs) but James evidently has been practicing what he's preached because he has some wisdom here. (laughs) 
James says, but if any of you lacks. So we're starting off from a point of James is giving us the lighthouse. He's giving us the plumb line. He's saying, let your joy be complete, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. But when you lack, listen to this. Um, So we are going to, at some points, lack wisdom. I know I certainly have lacked wisdom um, in several things that I have done. Um, We're going to lack wisdom sometimes on how to have this desired joy. And James is giving us instruction from the Lord on how to gain this wisdom. So that's our good news um, out of this chapter. So verse five, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what are we to do when we lack wisdom? Simple instructions. Let him ask. Let him ask. And specifically pointing towards the view that is proper for us to have, that we have a very low view of man and ourselves. We have a very high view of God. And that's where all the wisdom comes from. So we're going to start there. We're going to start at God who gives all gives to all generously. So here we see that God intends to give to all of us generously beyond what we could ask or think, right? And it will be given to him. So we have a wonderful promise about asking God for wisdom. So James is echoing Jesus in this instruction. James uh, is, this can be very paralleled with uh, Matthew 7, if you'd like to turn there. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, um, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So James is echoing the words of Christ in that the simple instruction is ask. The father who Jesus refers to it. The father who is in heaven gives us good things generously to those who ask and both promise it will be given to him. So what a comfort if you lack wisdom. 
ask it of God. Very instructional to us, not complicated. So what is wisdom? Very familiar with Sophia uh, as a beautiful youngest uh, person at Word of Grace, Sophia uh, Mitchell. Um, And it's a beautiful name to to give to her. (coughs) Sophia is wisdom. Um, In when we look at this in background of English sophistication and philosophy, both have uh, this Sophia in the Greek. And it's literally the art of using wisdom. So Sophia is using knowledge and using wisdom. Where better to go on the definition of wisdom than to go to the wisdom literature of the Bible? And we see that um, in Job's Proverbs and other books. Proverbs has two especially meaningful verses for our time this morning. In Proverbs 1, 7 and Proverbs 9, 10. So, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So in both, both start with the fear and reverence of God. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Anything that you could know. Anything that you could know out there, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as well. So all of this knowledge that we gain, wisdom is the practical use of that knowledge. What the book of James is all about. Knowledge is acquiring this information and learning whereas wisdom is using that knowledge and gaining experience in its practice. So as an example, Lane is a pharmacist. Lane had to endure years of pharmacy school, (laughs) and he had to learn about what all of these drugs do and their interactions with the human body. But if he never would have gone to be a pharmacist, Would he have exercised wisdom? No, but he has to do that every day. He has to to exercise what he has learned uh, in his education. He has to put that to practice on a daily basis when he's going and filling orders and talking to uh, customers and um, praying for the Lord for wisdom of how to do that. Uh, (laughs) um, So just like that, just as that analogy for us in our Christian walk, learning about God is great. You know, doing things like uh, looking through a systematic theology, that's wonderful. We're putting the framework together for how to interpret the Bible. Uh, It's great that we would memorize God's word. It's great that we would put all of these facts into our minds. But really where the rubber meets the road is the use of that knowledge and wisdom in our daily walks. Um, 
R.C. Sproul, I was reading an article from him yesterday in prep. Um, he said this about the wisdom literature of the Bible and particularly Proverbs. For the Jews, wisdom meant a practical understanding of how to live a life that is pleasing to God. The pursuit of godliness was a central concern of the writers of the wisdom literature. They affirmed that the necessary condition for anyone to have true wisdom was a fear of the Lord. Um, this underscores the book of James of giving all of these ways to live a life that is pleasing to God and the application of all of this wonderful doctrine and, and facts that, that we um, spend a lot of time learning. So just as an illustration, what a wonderful God we serve that has initially the gift of faith to us. So faith is a gift. Then out of prayer and supplication in faith. So we can't do that without faith, right? Out of prayer and supplication in faith, God gives us further gifts of wisdom. So it starts and ends with God, the cycle of gaining wisdom, of walking practically with him. Um. Other points of prayer in the book of James, uh, James 4, 2 through 3, you can kind of see a theme in such a short epistle. James really gets on this topic really twice. Um, he points out some error in the way that we pray um, and the way that we ask the Lord he says in James 4, 2 through 3, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Complete joy, lacking nothing, versus you do not have and you commit murder. See the, see the contrast. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So when you have this deep dissatisfaction, then you're constantly looking for that satisfaction, looking for those things in other places. And lastly, you do not have because you do not ask. So, and verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend uh, what you request on your own pleasures. So coming to God in prayer First of all, we're not coming with our selfish desires. We're coming towards an alignment with God's desires and his word. Lord, help me to align what you have for me. Uh, Lord, help me with this circumstance. Father, help me to see what you're trying to teach me out of this circumstance. <laughs> um, two awesome pieces of practical wisdom here, one from Matthew Henry, one from John Newton. Um, first of all, listen to this. this. This sounds a lot different than live your best life now, okay? Uh, this says, we should pray, we should not pray so much for the removal of an affliction as for the wisdom to make the right use out of it. 
How beautiful. Uh, we've spoken about this before in our church because we've had several of our parents and loved ones who we have seen stand up under cancer as they were living out the, the last part of their lives and still praising the Lord while doing so. And it was such a blessing. I think about John Piper as well when he says, don't waste your life, right? And some of these trials and suffering, some of these trials and suffering are God-given. Think about what Kendall was talking about this morning in Bible study when she was talking about the sufferings of David leading him to this point in which he becomes king. All of those sufferings and all of those circumstances have led him to that moment. God was developing his character. John Newton said, to know him is the shortest description of true grace. To know him better is the surest mark of growth in grace. To know him perfectly is eternal life. Oh, that's so beautifully put. So when we first get to know God, that is his grace. Just the shortest description of true grace is to know him, know him at all, to know who he really is at all. Um, and then to know him better is where we live. That's, that's where you and I are going to be if we are in Christ. That's where we're going to be until we see him in eternity. Because only then to know him perfectly is going to be eternal. When we know him perfectly, we will see him. Uh, that's from John Newton, who was the writer of Amazing Grace and and a very early American a theologian. All right, so let's go to verse six. Um, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So we have a picture. James is using uh, figurative language uh, to say that he is Christian using a what? Using like her as? Simile. Simile. Very good. <laughs> she just had this this year. So, so he's using a simile to say that he who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Um, someone who doubts is just in this churn spiritually. They, they, they can't see past this current circumstance. They're, they're doubting. Um, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. What is asking in faith? How do we ask in faith? Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And embedded into that chapter, if you want to turn there, is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. So this all begins with faith. This all begins with faith. You can kind of tell that he's laying out some parameters on prayer. It's not, it, it, it's, it's heresy to think that prayer is name it, claim it. It's heresy. Uh, because this all starts in the faith that he's given to us. It doesn't start with people. It starts with God. So we must ask in faith. Um, and without this faith, it's impossible to please him. And we must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Beautiful picture of faith and doubt plays out in the scene where we see Jesus walk on water. First, he walks. Then he asks Peter. He calls to him and tells him to walk to him. And what happens? So in Matthew 14, verses 30 through 32, I thought this was a beautiful picture. I would love to give credit to whoever, whoever put this picture together. I couldn't find the source, but I love it. Um, but seeing the wind, he became frightened, speaking of Peter. And when he began to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Uh, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. <laughs> so here's Peter, uh, very uh, indicative of exactly who we are, right? Sometimes the Lord will call us to take action. The Lord will call us to do something like start a reformed church in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And we walk out in faith and we do that, do this. But there then doubt tries to creep in. Am I doing the right thing? Is this the right direction? Uh, Peter is so representative of how we are. Uh, we initially may have good intentions and in following God and believing and trusting in him, but doubt tries to creep in. And notice this beautiful verse 32. The Lord says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, and they get into the boat and the wind stops. We're worried about the wind, but we know the one who controls the wind, right? We're worried about the waves, but meanwhile, we serve the person who created the waves. Uh, just honestly, so, so beautiful uh, uh, about that circumstance in the lives of, uh, of the apostles, especially Peter. Further words of Christ, if you turn to Matthew 21, and yes, I know that there are other Gospels, but it just seemed like all my cross-references came from Matthew. Uh, but Matthew 21, 
um, is where it's the withered fig tree. He walks by a fig tree. It doesn't have any fruit on it and it withers um, in front of him. He makes it wither. And in verse 21 of chapter 21, Jesus says to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive it all. So when we are in Christ, when we do believe, those are the conditions, first of all, conditioned on the gift of faith from God. Mm-hmm. Secondly, that we are in him and believing when we make these requests of God and that the requests are for his wisdom. We're not asking, dear Lord, give me a new Lamborghini. We're asking, dear Lord, give me wisdom. How, how can I live most closely aligned with you? James 1, 7 through 8 says, for that person talking about the doubter, you know, as I point to you, three fingers are pointed back in my direction, right? Uh, all of us, for that person who doubts, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This book, this uh, word double-minded is literally two minds. Pretty good translation, double-minded. Dicypos, two minds, wavering. This point of not in contrast to being single-minded, right? Being double-minded. Well, I really want X, but I also want to live for Christ. I really want to serve my flesh, but I really want to follow what the Lord has for me over here. James is the only one that uses this particular word in the New Testament. His only two occurrences are in his book. Um, And this double-minded man is also outlined by Paul. You can see the effects of sin even waging uh, into Paul and in his suffering. This is a longer passage. So if you would like to turn with me to Romans 7, verses 14 through 25, we can see where Paul has this tug of war. And yes, uh, that's the cheesiest graphic ever because, yes, it's limited to my skill, but you get the point, okay? It's this tug of war uh, between good and bad. Um, One of these days, I'd love to be a graphic artist. Maybe when I retire, I can learn better skills. (laughs) Uh, But Romans 7, 14 through 25 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly sold into bondage to sin, for I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. 
However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that the law is good. But now, knowing longer, am I no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body's parts. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Even the language is hard to read and confusing. And you could tell, you could tell Paul as the writer, you can, I could just picture him scribbling this, you know, trying to trying to say what I want to do I I don't do it and then the things that I know better to do I still don't do those but yet I, I I'm in Christ and he covers it all so we see even even in one of our beloved apostles who was responsible for writing, more than any other single writer in the New Testament, the one that we've seen through Acts and all of the things that God led him through, even he, even he is struggling with this doubt and sin uh, and, and can't, and he knows he can't overcome it. Paul further writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, if you would like to turn there. Um, this is in contrast. So forgive the cheesiness of the two minds in one head, but it's contrasted with the one mind in one head. Okay. So here's, here's a, a, a bit of single mindedness. That's a beautiful passage in Philippians two, two through seven. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and being born in the likeness of men. So what's the answer to double-mindedness? Centeredness on one purpose. That's serving the desires of God, serving the will of God with, with affection and compassion. Make my joy complete, Paul says. Isn't it awesome when we see moments where these, these New Testament writers, different times, different places, say the same things? Uh, and, and here we see Paul make my joy complete, echoing James, having complete joy. Being fully satisfied in God would be another way to put it, having complete joy. Don't do anything, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Humility is so important to us. If we want to minister to anybody, we have to lay down what immediate answers may pop into our minds when someone is telling us <laughs> what's wrong. Um, and, and when we're praying for each other, we, we really have to just empty ourselves out of that selfishness. Um, and lastly, Philippians chapter three, uh, verses 13 through 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's idea of single-mindedness is that that single mind that points towards Christ the end goal, the outlook to eternity, right? Always pressing towards eternity and living as it is the kingdom of God presently now, right? We long for the kingdom to be fully realized and we long for Zion to be in front of us. But until then, we're have our eyes solely fixed on that target heading, heading towards it. So out of everything we've spoken about today, how do we put it into practice? Um, just as a recap, firstly, the most important thing, and this is a question, this is a question for you to ask for yourself today. Do you have faith? Do you have the basis on which this all begins? If not, the rest of the instruction is good for you to know, but won't become practical to you. Do you have faith? Um, and you can answer that yourselves. Do you lack wisdom? If you have faith, do you lack wisdom? I certainly do. Uh, I'm looking for wisdom from God on how to raise a family, um, how I can be a mentor to uh, 
the professionals at work that work on my team, uh, how I can serve you uh, in the church and what more I could do for you or uh, how, how can I put that into practice? I lack wisdom of how to do all of that at the same time. <laughs> it's juggling and all of us do it, right? We're all in the juggling act. Uh, we've got work, family, church, school, uh, extended family, and input into that in this circumstance that we all live in and, and the environment that we all put up with in this sort of nasty now and now. Um, but the, the, the great thing about today and what we've read is the wisdom is there. There's a simple instruction on how to get it. And that's just to ask. Asking with special parameters. Asterisk. Please see below. Right? Asking in belief and not in doubt. So if we have to ask in belief and not doubt, we have to take care of the doubt first. Right? So then the prayer becomes, Lord, help me in my doubt. Um, what did Peter say when he was falling down into the water? Lord, save me. Sounds like a, sounds like a great request. Lord, save me. Um, and an encouragement to all, all of you and, and me uh, from God's word this morning is if you struggle with doubt, seek the Lord about it. That doubt, that doubt could actually lead to a deepening faith and trust in Christ. If he deals with your doubt primarily through his word, primarily through his written word, he can deal with your doubt. Um, he can deal with encouragement from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, he can deal with your doubt and it's not, it's, it's nothing hidden to God. <laughs> it's not, it's not an insult to God to say, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, he, you know, he's kind of like farmer's insurance. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two, right? He's seen it all, right? The Lord, nothing, nothing, none of that is new to God. He, he, he has it all firmly in his hand. So my encouragement to you this morning as we conclude is that um, if, if you uh, lack in any of these areas, what we can all do together is ask God. If you want, if you want me to ask God on your behalf, I would love to do that as well. Um, please tell me. Uh, I, I welcome that conversation uh, as well as the other elders at Word of Grace. Really, any of this congregation would welcome that conversation. Um, but there, there is a God who gen generously wants us to to know his will and to do it and he's there to help us in our pursuit of that let's pray 
Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, this chance to look into exhortation and encouragement, God. I pray that you will help us to apply what we've spoken about this morning, Lord, to our daily walk with you. Father, that we would be encouraged by the words of James and Jesus and Paul, Lord, to follow after you with an unwavering and complete joy that we would do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.